It's Christmas time, and who doesn't love the story of a baby born in a manger? As Ricky Bobby once said, I love the little baby in the manger. That's the Jesus I love. But Jesus is so much more. We're going to look today at the whole Christmas story, and I believe it will transform the way you look at the Word of God. When I first heard Pastor Tommy preach this, it uh, opened my eyes to the red scarlet thread that went throughout the entire Bible as Jesus over and over again being prophesied, Jesus teaching, and then what we do for Jesus and then looking forward to his return one day. My name is Trey Rhodes and I'm the Connections Pastor at Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I do welcome you to the audio study guide, whether you're one of our Life Connection Group leaders or care group leaders or uh, co-teachers. We are thrilled to have you here and listening to the audio study guide. If you're from around the world, we have a lot of people listening, uh, not only here in this country, but also around the world. So welcome. And we want to celebrate the risen Jesus, the uh, incarnation of Christ who was born as that babe in a manger, but didn't end there. He died on a cross to give us eternal life. So we're going to be talking about the de- that today as we look at the whole story of the Bible, which is all about Christmas and starts at Christmas for Jesus, and we impact impacts the rest of what we believe in the Word of God as we see it over and over again throughout the Bible. I do want to commend everybody for continuing the work. I know many of you are going to be meeting for Life Connection Group this Sunday, right after Christmas, and I just want to give you big kudos, appreciate your help, and appreciate your service, and appreciate your ministry, and I've been to several parties and had a good time of fellowship as we went out and just enjoyed fellowship with one another and encouraged each other and had some fun. And so if you've not done that but want to still have a holiday party, then make sure that you get uh, your Life Connection group together, and uh, even if it's after the new year or something, and just have a good time. Maybe go out to a restaurant or have somebody... Uh, fix some uh, finger foods, and just have a little bit of fun. Maybe play a couple of games and that kind of thing. All those things inspire fellowship and help us to live out what it means to be a follower of Christ and to minister and help and encourage other believers and sometimes just have fun. Okay, well, we are in the whole Christmas story, and we're going to be overviewing the entire Bible, so hang on, and I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm not going to repeat what Pastor Tommy said. I'm just going to give you a few uh I guess, just uh, points that you can hang your hat on, uh, like a coat rack, and hopefully you'll be able to remind everybody what the message is about, and then they'll be able to have input when we get to the storyline and actually ask the discussion questions. Uh, It's the greatest story ever told. uh, We have a Bible that is a collection of 66 books written by some 40 authors, and they wrote it over a span of about 1,500 years. And it was in three languages, mostly Hebrew and Greek, but also uh, parts of the Bible written in Aramaic, over 800,000 words. But all those words tell one singular story. It is the most sold book in history. In the United States of America, over 168,000 Bibles are sold or given away every single day. 168,000 every single day. Been translated over 1,200 languages, and we still have many languages to get the Bible in to the heart language of people. And it is divinely inspired, true without any mixture of error. But the Bible can also be intimidating. It can be 
when you come across some of the names and you can't pronounce them or, you know, you don't understand why they're doing that. It doesn't make sense in our culture or, or maybe even prophecy. You know, you, you might read prophecy or, and you see the book of Revelation and you're like, whoa, that sounds like a science fiction movie. Anyway, the point is, when you look at the Bible and you see the overarching story of the Bible, you won't read it as 66 different books, but you will see this one unified story. So the, it begins in Act 1, and that is God creates. It is not by accident that the Bible says in the beginning, God. Here's the infinite, eternal, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always in existence, in perfect fellowship. And in God's infinite wisdom, he creates to put his power, glory, and majesty on display. Bottom line is, we are not here by accident. He creates by the sound of his voice, creates by the sound of his voice over six days. My friend, that is power. Animals, man. But man is different. He's formed the dust of the ground. He breathes his breath right into mankind, into that man, Adam. And Adam then is given the responsibility to reflect the imago dei of God or the image of God in, in, in all the world as he takes dominion over the earth. And when God made everything, God made it perfect like he wanted it and placed him in the garden like he wanted it to be. But man was not satisfied with that. Man had to have more, so man rebels. He, God gave him boundaries. He said, okay, Act 2 teaches us. And so we've been in Act 1, now we're in Act 2. And eat of any tree, but eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're going to lose your innocence, and you're going to die. Free will was in the garden. What would Adam and Eve choose? Well, then we have Satan. He, here's a fallen uh, angel. And this, this is not just any old fallen angel. This is not just some guy that's a bad guy. This guy has a mission. And his mission is to destroy God's good creation. I want you to remember that next time you're thinking about Satan or somebody says Satan's not that bad or, you know, he's, he's, he's just a, a guy that's misunderstood, all kind of garbage like that. He's there to destroy all that God created. So what does he do? He deceives Adam and Eve. He takes form of a servant, serpent. And caused Adam and Eve to think that God didn't have their best interests. So who do they believe? They believe Satan. And they ate and everything changed. They ate of that forbidden fruit. Tried to hide from God. And by the way, before you get too mad at them, we do too. But you can't hide. They, they, you know, they're naked and unashamed to very ashamed and clothed. Is that not opposite of what it seems like it would be? So after that point, death enters the world and everything changes. They take them from the garden. The relationship with God is affected. Even their relationship with each other is affected. The, per the family is affected. And, and sin begins to take over every part of the world. From that moment, every person born has this natural desire to rebel against God. But there's hope. And that's in found in Genesis 3.15. Someday, one would come from Eve's lineage, from her body, to crush the serpent. A snake crusher. And then the story goes from bad to worse. We have civilizations developed. No one walks with God. And we find in Genesis 6, the Lord regretted that he made man on earth. He says, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth. And so God brings this global flood that destroys the entire world except for one family, Noah and his family. Here's the problem. Noah's a sinner too. And he's the one that repopulates the earth with sinners. <laughs> Into the flood, we see a problem. One way to eradicate sin is to completely wipe out every single person. And not leave one on the earth. We're left with the question, is there another way? And that's where Act 3 comes in. Because God initiates a rescue plan. Here God, here, here God is working. And when we see that, 
everyone rebels, you would think that God would begin bring judgment, but God loves. He wants a people for himself who will have a relationship with him. He wants to dwell among his people. His desire is to restore Eden. In Genesis 12, we have the story turning now, and God calls a pagan. His father worshiped the moon, so we know he was raised as a pagan. He has a barren wife, and Abraham's very wealthy. He leaves it all to follow God. And after 25 years of following, a lot of struggles of faith, Abe has his son Isaac. Isaac has a son Jacob. Jacob, a deceiver. But God would do a work of grace in this deceiver and give him a new name, Israel. And his 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of the great nation of Israel. And one son, Joseph, hated by his brothers, was sold into slavery in Egypt, ends up becoming the second command. And you know the whole story is that he then moves all of the people of God in Jacob's family to Egypt. And during that time that they're there, they prosper and multiply, but eventually people forget about Joseph. And 400 years later, they become enslaved to the Egyptians, enslaved for 400 years by the Egyptians. And to make matters worse, um, to control the Hebrew population, the Pharaoh ordered the firstborn boy of the Hebrew family to be killed. Now they're starting to think, hey, did God forget? But God was setting up a mighty act of salvation. One mother did not want her baby to die. So what did she do? She built a little boat. She put him in the Nile. And then Pharaoh's daughter finds a baby and raises him as her own. His name was Moses. He grew up, saw how his people were mistreated. And in his rage, he killed an Egyptian and then fled to Midian to save his life. And then on the back side of a mountain, when he was tending sheep, he sees God in a burning bush. And God tells him, uh, tell, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So Moses took God's message to Pharaoh, but of course Pharaoh ignored it. There's ten horribly disastrous, destructive, horrible plagues that take place. And then the last being the worst, the firstborn of every Egyptian home was to die. And Pharaoh let the Egyptians go, uh, let the Hebrews go, but that wasn't enough. Once they left, he, the Egyptians pursued. God parted the Red Sea. Hebrews walked through, the Egyptians were swallowed by the water. Finally, the Hebrews have real freedom. And so in the wilderness, they're wandering on the way to the promised land, and God gives Moses law on Mount Sinai, and he establishes a covenant. People can't live up to the covenant agreement. They complain. They build idols. So in the midst of that, God said, I'm sure Moses says, well, let's just get God alongside of us. So God provides them a tabernacle, a visual reminder that God was present among his people, but the people ignore God's presence, and they wander for 40 years. And, and by the way, that was supposed to take, I think, less than a month to get to where they needed to go, and it took them 40 years because of their rebellion. Time to enter the land. They send 12 spies in. 12, 10 say we can't do it. Two say we can. Continued disbelief. The first generation, all those people that wandered in the wilderness, they all die out except for Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses isn't able to go in because he had sinned. And they consent. So what they do is they go into the promised land, they cross over the Jordan, but they continue to sin. So God raised up judges and prophets and priests. People don't want God as their king. They look like a king to other nations. They want a king to look like other nations. So he raises up Saul. And Saul is not, he is a self-centered king. It's all about him. So he raises up David. And David doesn't look the part but he's a man of faith. And the kingdom of Israel grows. It becomes a powerhouse, a wealthy, wealthy nation. And God promises David that an even greater king would come from his lineage and rule forever. Now, by the way, we don't even think that David was a perfect king. He commits adultery, family problems, son uh, Solomon isn't perfect either. 
Uh, he's called the wisest man to ever live. He builds a great temple, but at the end of his life, as you remember, he falls away. He drifts. And Solomon married foreign wives, and they brought him their idols. And so as a result of that, God began this, this judgment. And the first part of the judgment was that the kingdom was divided between the north and the south. The north would take off, and they would never, ever be anything that God wanted them to be. There were some people in the southern kingdom, and over and over again you would have great kings like Jehoshaphat or Josiah or, or uh, uh, other kings, Azariah and others that were great kings, but, these, but, uh, but, but even they messed up. In 586, the Babylonians came and took over the southern kingdom, and uh, finally that happened even after the northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians 150 years earlier. So God promised better days. He promised a Messiah. And in Isaiah 9, 6, he says he would be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And after 70 years, the Jews are then free to return after they had been taken away from their home. But many choose not to come back. But a few do. And they rebuild the temple. But it was never the same. And so the Old Testament closes in 400 years of silence. For 400 years, no one hears from God. But Act 4 comes, and God rescues his people. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and you need to turn there, and you need to read this scripture. At just the right time, God sent forth his son, born in a manger in the middle of nowhere to an engaged virgin. And angels announce his birth to shepherds, and magi from the east come and bring him gifts. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one that is promised in Genesis 3.15. But while the shepherds and magi recognize him as king, no one else does. After all, this boy doesn't grow up in royalty. He grows up in some little obscure town called Nazareth. Becomes a carpenter. But he wasn't a mere carpenter. He was God in the flesh who taught people that the kingdom of God was, about, was present. And he called them to repentance. Yes, Jesus loved. He had mercy on those rejected by the religious elite. He healed the sick. He calmed storms. He taught people. Unlike David and Solomon and other kings, his heart never strayed from the Father. He was perfect in every way. And, and then the king died. Now, what kind of king would allow himself to be humiliated at the hands of his own people, stripped naked and hung on a cross for everyone to see? Kings conquer, but King Jesus conquered by dying. At the cross, it seemed like the promised king was conquered. And the old, that old devil who thought to destroy creation must have thought he was a victor. But this king died as a willing sacrifice. This king fulfilled the prophecy. This king fulfilled the Old Testament sacrificial system and was the one that that system pointed to. And the cross became a place of great exchange, what we call substitutionary atonement. And Jesus took what we deserve so we could get what we don't deserve, righteousness. And the king didn't stay dead. After three days in a tomb, he rose, proving he was God. The serpent had been crushed, and Christ was given, has given his people victory. In Acts 5, we have a whole different way of looking at things now. Now it's not, the kingdom of God is not run by a king, an earthly king. The, the kingdom of God is run by the king of kings, Jesus. So 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus goes and he ascends to the Father, and, but he leaves a mission for his people. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, go there, go therefore into all, excuse me, that's Matthew 20, uh, 28, 18, 19, 20. He said, you, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Judea Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what he gives them. Ten days, we have the Holy Spirit coming. He takes up residence in the heart of his followers. The church is born. We have Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and given the mission to take the good news of 
the death and resurrection of this king to the entire world. You know, the church isn't perfect. Paul writes letters to help the church know what it means to be the church. And the church isn't perfect today. But we're safe and secure in the salvation of Jesus. We're empowered by his spirit. In Acts chapter 5, we have what, and this is where we live, by the way, is in Acts chapter 5. God exalted, this is verse 31, God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given, that's us, to those who obey him. Everyone who obeys him. And that's where we live now. We know Jesus and we want to make him known. And then Acts 6, wrap, act, chapter, act, not Act 6, Act 6 wraps it up. God's final victory. And we go to Revelation chapter 21. We look at verses 1 and then 22, 1 through 5. And I'd recommend you read that to remind them about that. But John on this island, ex exiled. And God has given uh, a vision to this man of God. He was on the island because he stood for Jesus Christ. And what happens is that God gives him this incredible picture of the end. Of the end of all times, the end of all things. And God says, this is what it's going to look like. This is what the whole goal was from the very beginning. We read these words, 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. See, sin had so destroyed this first earth that God had to come back and make it right. And then 22, verses 1 through 5. Let me read those. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. And the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. And there will no longer... Uh, there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more, and people will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's the promise. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's why Jesus came to us. The question is, is his story your story. How about in your life connection group? Is, is the story of Jesus their story? And if they are followers of Jesus, this is your story. Worship him, live for him, adore him, and live to tell the story. All right, let's jump to the questions. Let's do an overview of the Bible. And again, uh, maybe you want to ask them, why do you think God gave us the Bible? And you're going to get some different answers. And how about this one? Number four, if the Bible is true, why does it matter for, why does it matter for our lives? So if the Bible is true, uh, there's several other questions you might want to, but whatever it takes to get them talking and then jump in to examine the story of the Bible. Uh, so that uh, brings us to the first one. Why did God create the universe? Remember what he talked about? God created the universe out of his, his uh, to display his majesty and his power, to display everything that, uh, that God was. It wasn't by accident as he brings his infinite wisdom, and he puts it on display. Now, why did God give us the Bible? Well, God gave us the Bible so that we might know that story, the story of what God had done all along to redeem man to himself through his only son, Jesus. Why did God give, um, why did he create humanity? Was God lonely? Of course not. God was not lonely, never has been. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were completely perfect in and of themselves and perfect fellowship with one another. But it is to understand what he did for us. One unified story that God gives us to know these things. 
Number two, why did Adam and Eve sin? Well, they wanted to be, uh, they didn't believe that God had told them everything. They wanted to know more. And uh, they thought they would be free by being able to do what they wanted. And free will was given to them, and they sinned. Why is sin punishable by death? Well, sin is, is, is remember what uh, Pastor Tommy has said over and over again? That's treachery against God. You're being a traitor to God when you sin. Is sin that bad? And the answer is yes, it is. Number three, why it, it caused the death of Jesus. Don't ever forget that. My sin caused the death of Jesus. Number three, why do you think God chose to choose Abraham and make a great nation out of Israel? Well, all along, if we find, we find out that God had a plan, and God's plan was to bring about a nation that would be, we find in, in Isaiah, a light to the Gentiles. Well, this nation was not a light to the Gentiles because they were still sinners. They still had problems. They still struggled. It was, the, the whole purpose was for the nation to be this, this uh, rescue plan for God, but it was anything but a rescue plan. That was what God's purpose was, and man messed up again. God continued. Why did, why did God choose to continue to put up with humanity? Obviously, God knew that he would one day send his son and that, that grace would be received, and he was willing to let this happen so that one day, at just the right time, Jesus would be born. Now, why do you think Israel rejected God's kingship and wanted a king like all the other nations? Because they wanted to look like him. They wanted to be of the world. They wanted to be, you know, just like them. Now, why do you think various kings of Israel continue to lead the people into idolatry even if after they saw God work powerfully in the nation? Well, they wanted what the other kingdoms had. They wanted to be like them. They didn't want to stand out. They wanted to have their own way. They wanted to, you know, be able to say, hey, you know, we want to, we want to be like them. We want to have that power that they have and all those things. All right, read Galatians 4.4. So read Galatians 4.4 and then answer this question. Um, oh, number, I'm sorry, I jumped number five. How did God use the prophets in the life of Israel? He called them back over and over again to repentance. And then he promised them that there would come a better day. But if they did not repent, there would be judgment. And that was their message. All right, now read Galatians 4.4. 4. Why does this verse teach you about the timing of the birth of Jesus? Well, uh, it, it had to be the exact time. It, it could not, I know they do books about what if Jesus was alive now and all that stuff. It had to be at the right time. Galatians 4.4 4 is very clear. At just the right time, Christ was born of a woman. He was born at the right time. I, I guess, you know, when we think about that, um, we had this, this the Son of God coming, baby born in a manger in the middle of nowhere at the time as the promised Messiah in Genesis 3.15, and it was the time as far as what he would, how he would live out. It was the timing as far as the prophecy was concerned, how he, when he would come. It was the timing that had to do with the culture of that world and how Jesus would bring about uh, the message of his death, burial, and resurrection. All those things working together. Now, why is the return of Christ such an essential doctrine for the Christian faith? So when we get to Revelation 21 22, folks, if we don't have that, we have no hope. It is the hope that we have waited for. It is the hope that Israel has waited for. It is the hope that all of God's people have always waited for. And if we do not have that hope of Jesus returning and getting it all right, 
then it's, it's why are we doing what we do? How can we do a better job of living in light of the return of Jesus? Now, they're going to have to answer that question. So, you know, say, hey, listen, what, what do we do then? If this is true that Jesus is returning, what do we need to do better? Do we need to share the good news of Christ more? Do we need to live out our life in a non-worldly fashion so that people see Christ living in us, that the, the light of God flows through us, the image of God is demonstrated in our lives? Let's apply the truth. Number one, why is it so important to know the storyline of the Bible? Because every single page tells us is a red letter. All the Bible should be red letter. I know it would be hard to read then. But every page is that scarlet thread that goes and runs through it, pointing us to the Messiah. Every page. Who he is, Jesus. Number two, how does knowing that the whole Bible story tells the story of Jesus encourage you in your faith? God has a plan all along. This is not happenstance. This is not just, well, this is how it worked out. God had a plan all along, and the plan was to redeem his, his, his children, redeem his people, bring them back. Repent, turn to him, and believe. That doesn't encourage you. I don't know what does. How does it strengthen your trust in the Lord? Listen, if God has that plan, doesn't he have a plan for what you're going through and what you're struggling with? You can trust him. You can trust him. How does knowing the whole storyline of the Bible help you be more effective in gospel conversations? Man, you can turn to the Bible and say, well, look at how this points to Jesus, you know? Go to the story of Abraham and do it. Go to the story of Moses and do it. God delivered his people. Go to the story of, 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 of Joseph or, or get, get deep into the prophets or even into the book of Acts and show how we are to be the ones that are sharing the good news of Christ and how there's a lost and dying world that desperately needs Jesus and we need to be about that and we want to share the good news of Christ with you because of that. The message is there. Every page of the Bible screams the name of Jesus. All right. So what do you think God is calling you to do in response to the study on the whole Bible, all right? How are you going to make this different? Is it, is it to share the gospel? Is it to, is it to go when you next time you read through, try to make the connections that you need to make? I know that after I heard Pastor Tommy preach this message, I know that what I did is I was able to then share the good news of Christ in very strong fashion because I saw, and when I read the Word of God, it began to make more sense. It began to, it began to tie together much stronger because of Jesus and what he did. Number two, how will this study inform the way you pray this week? So we talk about the study of the whole Bible. So how are you going to pray? Lord, help make me. Go back to Acts 5 and say, Lord, I want to be one of your witnesses. This is what I'm here for. This is what you have left us here for. Okay, and then this week, how can you have a good gospel conversation? Great time. We're with family even after Christmas. How can you have a gospel conversation? Boy, I'm getting tongue-tied here. How can you have a gospel conversation with using the whole Bible story as your starting point, all right? Let them talk about that, and certainly they can use that and uh, begin to take some of these things. And by the way, if you want to print out the sermon for them and have it available, that would be a cool thing because they can go back and look later. Um, I, I will, of course, it's always there for you, and maybe you want to just send them on email and they can print it out if they want it. But you might want to actually have some there uh, with you. I'll print them out for them and have a couple of them for you, okay? Uh, matter of fact, if you email me. I will go ahead and print as many as you need out, and we'll have them ready to go. I'll, I'll go ahead and print a few out right now, and then if we need more later, we will do that. All right. Well, this has been quite the study, and actually, uh, I appreciate you listening, and this is such a, 
a valid thing that you need to do for the people of God when you do your life connection group. Don't, don't take it lightly. Don't just kind of gloss over it because we need to point to Jesus on every page, on every page. And it's either about redemption, it's about judgment, it's about repentance. You're going to see it, and over and over again, it's going to point us to Messiah, Jesus Christ. All right, guys, well, let me pray for you. I hope you had a Merry Christmas or are having a Merry Christmas, depending on when you're studying this. And I pray that God will just use you in a great way in our Life Connection group. And as always, if you have any questions, let me know. My, my, my email is Trey, T-R-E-Y, at NorthwoodBaptist.com. And, of course, if you need any prayer requests or other things, contact me. You've been real good about that recently. Just letting me know people are struggling and hurting. And uh, we need to pray for them and encourage them. So uh, let, let Pastor Tommy or me know about that. Trey at NorthwoodBaptist.com. And I will be here this Sunday, and I look forward to seeing you. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for all you do for us. I pray in the name of Jesus that you might work in and through us as we teach the whole story of the Bible. It really is the real Christmas story. And as we stop during this time of the year, to pause and reflect on the coming of God to be among us, Emmanuel, God with us. May we understand that this was God's plan all along and that we are now a part of that plan. Use us for your glory. May we lift Jesus high. May it touch every heart in life. And if there's someone that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord of their life, may this be the Sunday that they turn from their sin and turn to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, have a great Sunday morning. We look forward to seeing you. God bless.